Thank you, thank you. That, that was like a nice way of saying someone's going to win and everyone else will be losers. <laughs> but we're the bridge. We're proof that God loves losers. At least that's what we say in the leadership. Um, no, but seriously, um, all you artists out there, kids, adults, uh, have fun with this. It'll be fun to rock some, uh, some local art on our new tees. Well, good morning, you guys. Uh, happy week after Easter. Hopefully everybody had a good week. Uh, it's good to be back together again. Um, why don't we start off this time by joining together in prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. And uh, like, like uh, Caitlin said, we're, we're thankful for um, our time of worship. And uh, we just thank you for the melody of our hearts, the heartbeat of this church is a heartbeat of praise to you, Lord. And um, the response, the heartbeat of response is that this would be a place where we would know you more. And uh, so, Lord, we open your word now and we go back into our First of Us series and we just ask that you would speak to us, speak to us something, um, maybe something new or a great reminder of who you are. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time. We pray everything in Jesus' name. Amen. What we're going to do today is we're going to go back in time three weeks to three weeks ago to before Palm Sunday. We started a new series here at the bridge. We're calling it The First of Us. And what it is, it's a look at the rhythms of the early church. We spent several weeks um, talking about Jesus's rhythms. What were Jesus's rhythms? How did he live? What did he do? And that was really good. If you want to reference any of those messages or share them or any of that stuff, they're all um, archived on our website or on our YouTube channel or even on our podcast. Um, but we were looking at Jesus's rhythms. That naturally goes to uh, what we've been celebrating in Jesus's death, Good Friday, where we talked about just what his death means and how he paid for our sin and his resurrection, victory over how Jesus broke death. And um, 50 days after that, we have what we've been talking about in Acts, which is the day of Pentecost, where the church was born. And so it's Jesus's rhythms. Now we're looking at what were the rhythms of the Jesus's followers when the Holy Spirit came and, and Jesus went to heaven to be with the Father what was life like? What was the early church like? So uh, we are in, this week we are in week two. Let me give you just a quick up-to-speed recap of week one. This is what we talked about in week one. The early church was uh, full of the Holy Spirit. We talked about three weeks ago that when the, when the Spirit fills a person, fills a group of people, he brings a new identity. When we look in uh, the book of Acts in chapter 1, go ahead and open up to Acts if you have your Bibles with you. Otherwise, the uh, screens that we're going to be, or the um, verses that we're going to be doing, we'll put up on the screen. But just to get us up to speed, we're looking at Acts chapter 2. It says, when the, when the day of Pentecost had come, and then this is what happened, the Spirit uh, filled normal people, normal men and women, and gave them new identity. This is who they are. 
When the Spirit fills you, he brings new availability. It says they were speaking in language that wasn't their own, but that other people heard. This was a supernatural. God takes what we do naturally, and he empowers it by his Spirit to do the supernatural. And when the Spirit of God fills us, he brings new opportunity. And that was the final point a couple weeks ago, was that God's vision is all through the church and by his Spirit is always a vision that is an outworking vision. God works in you, but God wants to work through you and through his church. They were speaking language they didn't understand, but others understood it, and it brought people. It says that, um, so we want to pick up the story or the account and some verses that are pretty, pretty famous and popular if you've been in church a long time, but we're going to look at these um, hopefully with some fresh eyes. So when the Spirit does that, we get a picture of what this looked like with people. So in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, follow along, let me read this. Acts 2, 42. It says this, they, so these are the people that heard the speaking in, in, in tongues and all the stuff that was going on and they showed up, their lives were changed, this is the first church, the first of us. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and, many, and the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I love in the, the New King James translation, it says with uh, gladness and simplicity of heart. I like the way that is worded as well. Glad and sincere hearts. Verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is a great picture of what the first spirit-filled human beings were like. I think I'm going to say I'll say I'm going to say some big things this morning. I think that we have done these verse these verses and injustice because we try to make what we just read a formula. But it's not a meant to be a formula. It's a picture. It's a picture of what it looks like when the Holy Spirit is working in someone's life, when working through people. When, it, when these verses are a formula, it can create an unnecessary expectation on how you should do Christianity, on how you should do church, on how you should do your life. It can create a, a pressure to perform. If we can just get people back to doing this stuff, we can get back to what the church looked like on the day of Pentecost. In my mind, I see it like this. I see an explosion. <laughs> 
And then what happens as a result of the explosion, I'm calling the explosion when the Holy Spirit, the mighty rushing wind and the earthquake and all that that happened, just boom, the Spirit arrives in the midst of these people and this radical stuff. And then the outworking of that was they were, they were together. They were all these things that we read. And we read that and we're like, oh, I want to experience the Holy Spirit like that in my life. So if I go to church a lot, read my Bible every day, have people over all the time, do this, 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 and this, then I will work back to this point. I would say that's not necessarily the case. I would say that what we want is what they experience, the filling of the Holy Spirit and the outworking of it, but sometimes it can really create a treadmill in your life when you're like, I feel like I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, and I still feel empty. I still feel like I'm striving. If we can just get people to do this stuff, then we can get back to our roots, but this is not a checklist to accomplish. It describes the change that God works in people. It's not what they did, it's how they were changed. The book of Acts, it's called the Acts of the Apostles, but in reality, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. This is God working in and through people. So what did it look like for this first spirit-filled group of people? There's a key word at the beginning of all of these actions that I want to look at. In Acts 2.42, it says this, they devoted. They were devoted. When the Spirit of God worked and came in their midst and filled them up and gave them new identity, new ability, and new opportunity, there was a devotion that happens. That happened. Some of yours might say they continued steadfastly. This word devoted is actually hard to, to nail down exactly because it speaks of a constant state of belonging, of um, wanting to be a part of something, knowing you're a part of something. There was something that happened. These people were in. They were devoted to God and to others. Today, we want to look at specifically with regards to the first thing it says they were devoted to, devoted to the apostles' teaching, or maybe your version says the apostles' doctrine. The desire of the people, they were devoted to the apostles' doctrine. The things that the first, that Peter, we're going to look at Peter's sermon just before those verses, but the things that Peter was saying, there was a sense in the, the people that said, how do we read the Bible like you guys read the Bible? And they didn't even have the whole Bible yet. The New Testament was being written as this is all happening. But is how do we read the Bible like you read the Bible? How do we interpret the things of God the way that you, the apostles, interpret the things of God? And here's the cool thing about the apostles. They weren't like the most educated people of the community. They weren't the best public speakers. They weren't the highest educated. As a matter of fact, after this, a few days later in Acts chapter 4, there's this moment where the highest educated in the land looked at these apostles and they were baffled. 
Because they're like, how is it that these uneducated people are doing and saying the things that they're doing? They didn't, it blew them away. And their only response was, they have obviously been with Jesus. They weren't the best educated. Peter, who gave, gives this, this Pentecost Sunday sermon, was a tradesman. I love that. They didn't keep it to 35-minute sermons every week either, or every time that they had to do it. I love this verse. It's sort of an outlier, but it, when you, if you back up just to verse 40 of, the, of our text, there's this little thing that's thrown in there. It says this, with many other words, he warned them, which means here's the gist of Peter's message, but he went on for a long time. There's a, there's a, in one of the epistles it says, and Paul said he preached all night long. He preached so long, some poor kid fell asleep, fell off the balcony and died. And God had to like bring him back to life. These dudes weren't, they were long winded sometimes. Thank you, Lord. I'm in good company. Here's the deal. They had just been with Jesus. And they were just responding to what God asked them to do when he said to Peter, Peter, Feed my sheep. Take care of my people. Make my people your people, is what he was saying when he commissioned Peter to be a pastor and the apostles to teach these people. So here's the, our message this morning is called this. The early church was devoted to doctrine. And I'm, I almost don't even want to use the word doctrine because it can be a ta- like a buzzword for many people because it means something to you. But here's the subtitle, the goal of every teaching. That's what I want to talk about today. When it says they were devoted to the apostles' doctrine, I want to look at this, and I can't help it, but look at it from two ways. We're going to look at the same thing from two ways. When the Spirit of God moves within the communication of God's word, This is God's goal. That's a big thing to say. Here's God's goal when his word is communicated. And it was obviously the apostles' goal when they taught. So any aspiring Bible teachers in here, any people like me feel called to communicate God's word, this is going to be really awesome for you as well because this is how we look at every text, every teaching when we communicate God's word. So here it is in one sentence. The goal of every teaching is to reorient our hearts and lives to Jesus. If I get, what do, we, what do I want to accomplish on a Sunday? With the, time, with the short time in a week, with all the content that we consume and work and all of the stuff, when we come in this portion of our service, when we sit under God's word, or just our church service in general, if there's one goal and we strive towards this, it's, it's this, that your life and your world would have a reorientation to the things of God, to Jesus specifically. This is what Jesus did with his disciples. This is what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do when he told his apostles, you're going to teach, you're going to be my witnesses. Go to Jerusalem. Don't do it on your own. Wait for the Holy Spirit. He will empower you to do these things. And then this is what he said about the Holy Spirit in in John 16. Jesus said this, But when he, 
the Holy, the Spirit of Truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears. He will tell you what is yet to come. And He will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that He will receive what He will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine, Jesus speaking. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me and he will make it known to you. The Holy Spirit wants to reorient our lives back to Jesus. So we'll look at this in three, three ways. The goal of the apostles' teaching was to reorient to God's kingdom, God's goodness, and God's instruction. Those are the three things we want to look at. God's kingdom, God's goodness, God's instruction. Peter's first sermon that he gave that 3,000 people responded to will help illustrate these three components. So let's look at the first one. A reorientation to God's kingdom. Back up one page or a few verses, and we're going to pick, uh, pick it up in Acts 2, starting in verse 14. Okay, so right after the Holy Spirit came down in a mighty, like a tornado, divided tongues of fire upon each person, they were speaking the praises of God in languages that other people understood, and they came and they're like, what does this mean? And then it was nine in the morning, and some people are like, these people are crazy. And some people said, oh, no, these people are drunk. And then Peter responds, and he says, verse 13, Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. Verse 14, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. That's not what's happening. No, he says, this is what, what is happening is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he's going to quote the Old Testament, specifically the book of Joel. And he says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, not just on a person for a certain amount of time, but there's going to be a time where God was going to pour out his spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. That's heavy. That's a break point in this prophecy, by the way, if you're a student of scripture and you love prophecy. That's where theologians say he goes from talking about the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came to Jesus's return when he comes and um, deals with uh, sin and, and uh, dealing with uh, the end times, like when he sets up his throne 
physically and rules from Jerusalem. And everyone, this is what he says, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. When the Spirit of God moves through the teaching of God's Word, there is a fresh realization of God's authority. So the outworking of this, they were together in the church, they were breaking bread, hadn't people, they were selling their stuff. This stuff that was happening is a byproduct of these things. First one, there was a fresh realization of God's authority. I am constantly blown away by how radical God is. And not radical like, bah. Radical is in it's he's so big. He has all authority on heaven and on earth. The first of us, the first Christians, the first thing that they did was they placed God in authority over their lives. When the Spirit of God moves in and through his word and in and through people, there is always a fresh realization of God's kingdom. God's authority. It's like they were saying, God, your way is bigger than my way. What you want to do is more important than what I want to do. It's, we just sang about it this morning where we said, God, your kingdom come. Your will be done. They weren't the highest authority in their lives. I was unsure of how to word it because a lot of times in the New Testament it says to submit yourself under the authority of God. Love, loving one another, um, comes in form of submitting yourself under another person. But in our culture, that word submit can be used in a wrong way. So I say this. Love is placing someone else above yourself. When you place someone else above you, you are naturally submitting unto them. But it's not a subservient, um, I'm a horrible person. It's showing honor and respect and glory. When God moved the first of us, the first church, here's what they did. They placed God's way up here. They said, God, your will be done. That was the first thing. Before they went to the instruction, because we're quick to go to, where am I in this story? God, what do you want me to do? How should we live our lives and all of that stuff? But the first thing was, God, you have a whole other kingdom. You're doing stuff that's on a whole other level. And to just experience a fresh reality of God's authority. The second one is there's a when the Spirit of God reorients our heart through the teaching of God's Word, He there is a newness of reverence in, in God's goodness. There's a reorientation towards God's goodness. Look at the, the next thing uh, Peter said in a sermon. Verse 25, David said about him, so he said, 
he was speaking all of this stuff. Jesus came, he was handed over. He's like, there was God's foreknowledge. There's this whole plan that God is doing. This is God's authority. And then he says, verse 24, David said this about him. So David, David was Israel's greatest king. They loved him for, they'd been talking about him forever. It was like that one, it's like, you know, I don't know how to do a good comparison, but it was probably the way Americans talk about Lincoln. People are like, he was the best president. But in their context, David was the king that was after God's own heart who led them so well. And this is what David said about Jesus, who Peter's talking about. I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. David said, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your holy one see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. Now, Peter has taken this. This is Psalm 16 that he's quoting. And he's using it to speak of Jesus. It's a messianic, prophetic psalm. You will not let Jesus' body, the Father will not let Jesus' body see decay. He will raise him from the dead. But let me tell you what, date, what, the, the, um, what David was talking about when he quoted this, when he wrote this psalm. Psalm 16 is called a, a psalm of praise. David wrote this psalm probably when he was running for his life when King Saul was trying to kill him. David was trying to do the best he could. He was trying to honor God with his life, believing that God's kingdom was bigger than Saul's kingdom, believes that God's way is higher than man's way, yet he's running for his life and, and life is not awesome at the moment. Yet he is in this cave and he writes this, and this is a whole, all about a psalm. It's like, even when I don't understand all that is going on, when the Spirit of God reorients our hearts, one of the things he does is he shows us God's goodness. That's what... That's what David means when he was like, therefore I will not be shaken. My heart is glad and my tongue rejoices because you will never leave me. I love it when there is a newness of God's goodness in my life. I know that God is working in someone else's life when they're saying stuff like, I'm like, how you doing? They're like, I'm good. Yeah, you know, I, my job is, I lost my job, or I'm going through this struggle in my relationship. But they're, swick, but they're quick to say, but I'm doing good because God is good. That's a crazy thing to, the, to people who don't know that truth. When we say, like, God is so good, and people are like, how can you say God is good? Don't you see that the world is bad? So you can try to explain, yeah, but God's ways are not our ways. But when you experience, when the Holy Spirit does something in your life, when God isn't distant and cold and mean, but he's walking in your shoes with you, and you just are filled with how much God knows you and loves you and has purpose for you, you're like, God is good. I don't know how else to say it. 
We could use the word holy. That means set apart. But God always used the term goodness when he spoke of himself. When he was leading Moses and the children of Israel out of Egypt, he leads them out, and then, Mo- and then he says, now I'm going to do this. And Moses says, if you don't go with us, don't send me out of here. Because they, they were in this place of God's authority, God's presence, his goodness. And he's like, God, don't, don't send us if you won't go with us. And then Moses says, could I see your glory? Let me just look at you. And God's like, no, because your face will melt off like an Indiana Jones. He goes, but I'm going to place you in this rock. And I'm going to let my, this is what God says, Exodus 33, I think. I think it's Exodus 33. He says, I'm going to place you in this rock. And then God speaking to Moses says, I'm going to let my goodness pass before you. And when he let the fullness of himself pass by, and then he goes, I'm going to put my hand over the rock. I'm going to let, I'm going to let my goodness pass by, and then I'll remove, and then you'll see the, like the back of my glory. But it says, no one can let God face to face and live. He's so, his goodness will melt you. Anytime there has been a revival a spiritual awakening, a a radical move of God like on the day of Pentecost that we're trying to get back to, let me tell you what what puts people on their faces. God's authority, God, you're greater, we need you. And then there's a radical realization and reorientation to God's goodness. That's why people say, I don't want to leave here. Where stuff just keeps going and you want to sit in it. That's why people get want to stay at camp or stay at a retreat or those things because there's this sense that like God is so good. You just want to sit in it. That's what it was like for Moses. That's what it was like for the early church. So a response of them just wanting to sit in this was like, let's, let's take care of each other. Let's do this together. Let's, let's be hungry. We'll talk about the next one. This is where devotion comes from. When there's a newness of God's goodness, it's not just that God is right. It's that he is good. I think that's a a stumbling block for a lot of people today. Because they see the world, and the world is really screwed up. There's there's a question, there's got to be a better, another way. So people are like, you know, I think God is real, but people have a hard time understanding that God is good. When the Holy Spirit works in someone's life, there's a a realization. That's where devotion comes from. When someone says, I just want to be with you. It's always the key part of any teaching. Here's the third one. There's a reinforcement. A reorientation. That's a tough word. I now I've said it a hundred times. I should have used something else. But you guys know what I'm saying, right? A redirection toward God's instruction. Or there's a new hunger for God's word. The first of us, the early church, they were devoted to God's kingdom, God's goodness, God's instruction. Let's finish Peter's message. So he says all of this stuff. He ends it by saying... We'll pick it up in 
quoted David, spoke of the resurrection. Verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He's hitting all the things. God's kingdom, God's holiness. And verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off, for as many as the Lord God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Dude, I, I love the response. This is how I know God is working in someone's life. Brothers, what shall we do? So brothers, first of all, there's a sense of belonging. What do, and then there's, what should I do with this? God is, God's ways are higher than man's ways. God's goodness is beyond what the goodness of this world has. Well, how do I respond to this? When someone wants to know how to respond to that, I'm always like, you are on such a good path. Don't stop. Keep going. Peter said, repent and be baptized. Okay, repent word that has been used in the wrong tone so many times it's not supposed to be yelled at someone it's supposed to be whispered it's supposed to put your arm around someone and let them know there's another way it doesn't have to be your way sometimes it's with a stern voice because you're leading yourself to destruction anybody in here led your life to destruction yeah for sure and you felt it and we say stuff like I wish when I was in this place, someone would have come alongside me and said, bro, or sister, you're blowing it. You are headed for destruction. Stop. Please turn around. There's another way. We say that, but in the same words, we're like, but I probably wouldn't have listened anyways. But it wasn't until the wheels fell totally off and the train came off the tracks and I was in jail or whatever, that's some of our stories, or I lost this relationship, that's some of our stories, or I was totally alone, that's some of our stories. But there's this place where I went my way as far as I could go, and then I realized God's way is bigger, and I'm starting to realize His way is good. What do I do? That's, the, that's where I want to meet people. That's where I'm at. What do I do now, Lord? I love hearing people when they talk about God's word coming alive to them. I read the word and I was like, God was talking to me. That's because God's way is bigger. There's a hunger. God, show me. What do I do? There's a question. And his word is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it, it cuts our hearts just like that. And we're like, Lord. I talked to someone last 
week. I know I shared it with you guys a couple weeks ago. Read the Bible a lot of his life, and he was like, dude, I opened up the book of Luke, and I read, and he was reading the Sermon on the Mount, and God spoke to him, and he said, which of you by worrying can add one inch to your height? This is where God is talking about don't worry about all this stuff. You just seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and it changes life. I love hearing those stories. I love when I hear when it's no longer about, um, when the Bible is no longer about a story of a people who once existed once upon a time, but it's like, this is my story too. This is me. When someone is baptized into Jesus, we're talking about that today. We had some baptism. I think we baptized 10 or 11, something like that, people last year, and we're going to do it as many as we can because what do I do? Change the way you're walking. Change the way you're thinking about God and his kingdom and his goodness. And then to be baptized, and it says, and jump in with both feet into this life of Jesus when you're baptized, it's a symbol that I'm laying down my way. I'm dying to myself. I'm accepting God's forgiveness into my life, God's way of living into my life. I want to be baptized. Baptizo, it's a word of, it's what you do when you make pickles. You, you baptize the cucumber into the vinegar. You, you put it in there and soak it. And it's a picture of, I I place my life in Jesus, and I raise, and now I walk in Jesus. I'm, I'm led by him. That's what it is when someone is baptized. What should we do? We respond, and we put ourselves into, this is my, I'm not dipping some, I'm dipping a person in the water. Baptize. So what was the rhythm for the first church? They were devoted to being instructed more and more by God. They got a taste of God's kingdom. They got a taste of God's goodness. And they got a taste of God's instruction. And here's their response. We want more. They were devoted to being instructed by God. They were hungry for God. And they did what Jesus told them to do. I want to make a sidebar point because it goes along with this, but it's, I'm going to step to the side and we're going to walk alongside this for a second. Because I want to talk about a major hang up, I think, in the world today. We might see that God is real. We might even have a belief that God is good in Jesus. We like Jesus, the world, when they, there's a sense that like, oh, we like Jesus. Here's the major hang-up, I think, in the world. And I know God can work through this, but it's something I've noticed. It's something that others have noticed, and let's think about it this week. I want to throw it in here. One major hang-up is this. Resonance isn't obedience. We love things in the world that resonate with us. We hear something, and we're like, oh, I like that. That resonates with me. God loves you. Mm, 
That resonates with me. God has purpose for your life. Now, they're both true, but you can, both take, you can take those things and do nothing with them. To be instructed by God, God doesn't want resonance. He wants response. Here's because resonance isn't the goal. Obedience is the goal. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll do what I say. There's a response. It's not a guilt. It's out of grace. God, you're so awesome. You want to lead me in a way that's not of this world, that's better because you're good. What does this mean for me? And then there's the Spirit speaks specifically to your heart. And then you're like, oh, that doesn't resonate with me. I don't know if I'm going to do that. Some things Jesus says and does will go against your personal or individual goals for your own life. It's just part of walking with him. He wants you to follow him by faith and trust. The way of Jesus often cuts our plans off at the knees. Has anyone ever experienced this? You're going this way and then Jesus does this and you're like, what the heck? And then you look back years later and you say something crazy like, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Because God's ways are not our ways. He does things we don't understand in the moment and he's asking you to trust him with a step of obedience. The reason that Jesus' way often cuts our plans off at the knees is because Jesus actually has a plan for your life. And he thinks his plan is way better than yours. And he's not shy about it. He says, I am the way. He's talking to his disciples before the cross. He's like, you guys know where I'm going? He's talking about heaven, preparing a place. And they're like, and he goes, you know where I'm going and you know the way to get there. And they're like, what? We don't know where you're going. How could we know the way? And he says this, I'm the way. He's saying, walk in me. That's the symbol of baptism, repentance. Walk with me. I'll get you where you need to go. That's what I want you to focus on. That's what he said. So walking with him and submission to him and obedience to him leads us to the best life here on earth and into eternity. Jesus knows the way so well that when it goes against how we feel, Jesus says he knows the plan for you so well that when, it, when the step of obedience goes against how you feel, the Bible says you actually have to die to yourself. That's how opposite spirit it can feel to what you want to do. That's how sure Jesus is that his way is best for your life. That's, what it, that's the picture that we're looking at. They weren't doing all the churchy things. They were a group of people that were assured that God's kingdom is higher than the kingdoms of man. They were positive that God was good and holy and right, and they wanted to be with him. They believed it so much that when he asked them to do something, they did it. 
And you know what the effects of this is? We're going to keep looking at this for the next couple weeks. It says they had favor, not just in the church, but in the world. They're not so different than us. So let's close this thing up. The first of us were all in, fully devoted. They wanted God's way more than their own way. That's what it is to be devoted to God's teaching. So the goal of teaching God's word for the teacher and the student. Whatever church you go to, I would look for these things in the teaching. Whether the person's crazy educated, excuse me, or not. The education doesn't matter. Are they reorienting people to God's kingdom? Are they reorienting and pointing people to God's goodness? And are they bringing instruction from God's word? Every great move of God in a person or in a group of people has had these three things. A fresh realization of God's authority, a fresh devotion to God's goodness, and a new hunger for God's instruction. I want to have that. I want to be part of that. I believe people are tired of the way things are going, and I want to teach people the scriptures and have us walk with God. Do you know the doctrine that they needed to learn to do this life didn't come at the same time the Spirit poured all of this out. It came later. We read the stuff in uh, Paul's letters. He uses the analogy of, oh, yeah, you're like a body. He puts the words around what was happening. They were like, they were together. They were acting. When the Spirit does something, He's working it in you. The teaching, the direction, it comes later because it's not the whole thing. It's part of the process. You're, you're wrecked by God's goodness. And so you are recklessly generous with someone and then they take advantage of you. That's the worst. Like you're like, God, you're so good. I just want to be given. And then you give, but you're not like, and then someone takes advantage and God's like, oh, it wasn't about what you did anyways. It's about, and then you're wrecked again by his goodness again. All that was happening in their lives would be fleshed out later in Acts. Anyways, that's what I want to be a part of. That's my goal. When you're like, what's his goal up there? I want to point you to Jesus every week. I want you to see that like there's a kingdom alongside ours. I want you to see that there is that God is good. And I want you to say that he knows exactly what he's doing. He's asking you to trust. I'm in the process. That's where I want you to be as well. Let's pray. And uh, let's have our crew come back up and we'll close this thing out. Father, thank you for this morning. I thank you for the example of the people that have gone before us, thinking specifically with the first church, the first ones of us that there were, filled by your spirit, nothing special on their own, but special to you. You filled them with your spirit, and their response was devotion to you, to others. They saw things in you they just had to share with others, Lord. We want that to be us as well. So we pray, even with this, let this last song be our prayer, Lord. 
We invite you into this place. We invite your kingdom to like invade our hearts in a, in a cool way. Let your goodness wash over us. May this be a time if we're holding on to things in our life that we know we need to let go. Could we let them go and let God's grace and his goodness like wash over that stuff? And may the song be a prayer to you, Lord. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.